Glad to see everybody. We're in the second part of our series that we kicked off last Sunday titled Bad Resumes. And we're looking at how God loves to take someone's life that is a, a complete mess and turn it around and use it for His glory. And I love that God does that. I love how He, he, he takes what seems to be an absolutely hopeless circumstance and He offers a hopeful solution and that's what He's done in every single one of our lives. Yes or no? Absolutely. If you haven't realized that by this point, I hope that you will before this day is over. We're going to be in, uh, in Joshua, Joshua, we're going to be in Matthew, we're going to be in Hebrews, we're going to be in James. Uh, most of these will be on the screen, so if you're worried about trying to find them, you don't have to worry about that. They'll, uh, they'll be on the screen. Well, last week we opened up looking at a couple of resumes that were actual resumes. I didn't sit down and, and make those up for your entertainment. They were actual resumes that I pulled offline, and uh, I've got a couple more that I want to share with you this morning. The title of this one is, This Is My Resume. Objective. To begin my postgraduate career in an insignificant entry-level position that will provide me with an income. Preferably valid United States currency and a sense of self-worth. Education. Small college you haven't heard of. Bachelor's of Arts, May 2011. Town you also haven't heard of, South Carolina. Major, blah, blah, liberal arts, interdisciplinary, blah. GPA, same as everyone else's, irrelevant to real job. Can I give an amen on that one? Skills profile, communication. I communicate, yes. Want to know how many ways I can communicate? All the ways. That's right. Need me to say stuff? I can do that. Want me to type some stuff? Done. Talk on the phone? Call me right now, and guess what? I'll answer so politely it will amaze you. <laughs> Clerical skills. I'm, the child of an, I'm a child of the information age, so it's really silly to have me list this stuff. I've been using Microsoft Word since I was like seven. Pull out your laptop right now, and let's have a PowerPoint contest. Do you know how many A-plus presentations I've made in 10 minutes? Don't have 10 minutes? Give me five. Boom. B minus. <laughs> Relevant experience. None, really. But please allow me to articulate the many reasons why I think my minimum wage work history is extremely relevant and has adequately prepared me for this job. Don't you love those? That is an absolutely 100% positively real resume that you can find online if you just go and type in bad resumes. And all of a sudden, they just pop up everywhere. And it's amazing what people put on their resume. Now then, here's another one, and it was, uh, it's pretty lengthy, so I've got it up here on the screen, and I'll just read it for you. If the following embarrasses you or offends you, I apologize in advance. But those of you who truly know me and are close with my family already know the truth. Some will say that I'm crazy for publicly putting this out there. So here goes. Yes, I've had two affairs during my marriage. And yes, I was not the family man I claimed and truly meant to be. And yes, I betrayed the trust of a woman who stood by my side and dedicated her life to our family. 
sacrificing her wants and needs for us because she wanted to. And yes, I have taken two beautiful little girls that God has blessed me with and flipped their world upside down and crushed our dreams for them. I've manipulated a lot of people in my life like their feelings did not matter. And that's not the person I was raised to be. I've let down and disappointed most everybody in my life. That's a bad resume. Yes or no? And when you look at it, you also realize that it is full of, of honesty. The truth is that every single one of us, we come to Jesus with a spiritually wrecked resume. We come before Him with absolutely nothing. As was, was prayed in our, our, our call to worship, we don't have anything to contribute. In fact, and you've heard us talk about this before, the only thing we contribute to our salvation is what? The sin that makes it necessary. All of us, no matter who we are, or where we come from, all of us have a, a spiritually bad resume. And as we look into Scripture this morning, we're going to look at a story that is very similar to what I just read. Yet it happened thousands and thousands of years ago in the life of Rahab. And while the characters are different, the circumstances are not so different. Because in this story, you have the same thing. You have, you have sexual gratification. You have lies. You have betrayal. You have hurt. So let's jump in looking at the life of Rahab. To sort of set the story and to set the scene... Joshua is now the leader of the Israelites. He is about to lead them into the promised land. They have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Because 40 years earlier, Moses appointed 12 spies to go out and survey the land and see if it was ready. You see, the, the, the other nations that were in the land of Canaan were not supposed to be there. That was land that God had promised to the Israelites. He said that was their inheritance and in its place were all these nations and they were not God-fearing nations they were pagan and they were wicked and there was all kind of, of, of evil going on in this land and so Moses appoints 12 spies to go and, and, and check it out and see if, if they're ready and 10 of the spies come back and they said there's no way we can take it but two spies come back and they say yes let's do it and their names are Joshua and Caleb we don't really know much of, about Caleb after that, but Joshua becomes the successor to Moses. And it is Joshua who is going to lead the Israelites into Canaan. And as you open up the book of Joshua, you read about their very first conquest in a city that we are familiar with. It's a city by the name of Jericho. We know that Jericho was a, was a fortified city. It had these great walls and you could not get to them and what happens is one of the strangest battle plans that God enacts through His people where uh, they end up claiming the city. But Joshua chapter 2, verse 1 says this, Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two men 
as spies from the Acacia Grove, saying, Go and scout the land, especially Jericho. So they left, and they came to the house of a woman, a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. It's interesting that this is the place two spies went. They went to Rahab's house. Now then, if you're reading from your translation, it might say that uh, he sent them from a sort of unfortunate sounding name that we won't read aloud in here this morning, but that area was known for prostitution. And so he sends them there. They go to Jericho. They go to Rahab's house. Now then, Rahab's house was built into the wall of Jericho. So not only is she a prostitute, she's marginalized. She's kind of uh, pushed to the outer existence of all of Jericho. And you could see men going in and out of her house at all times and at all hours. And you really think, you know, it's pretty strategic that they chose that place because no one would suspect two men going to the house of a prostitute, yes or no? They wouldn't suspect that at all. And so that's what they do. That's what they do. They go into Jericho, and it says they stayed there. Now then, the people of Jericho, they had been hearing the rumors that Israel was coming. They had been hearing about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they knew that they were coming. And somehow they got wind that two spies were at Rahab's house, and so the king dispatches a, a squad of what we can just assume are probably executioners to Rahab's place of, of business and her home. And they go and they knock on the door and they say, hey, look, we know the spies are in there. Why don't you send them out? And Rahab has a choice to make. She can choose to send out the spies and she'll be known as a heroine within Jericho. But that'll be short-lived because God is behind the Israelites and they will eventually take over no matter what. Or she can choose to trust in this God that she's been hearing about. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She can choose to take a chance on, on him. And she, so she says, they're gone. And she sends the executioners off another direction, searching for the spies while they were up hiding on the roof. And so she's made her choice. They go away, and, and, and she goes up there. And you drop down to verse 12, and she says to the spies, she says, Now please swear to me by the Lord that you will show uh, kindness to my family because I showed kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, sisters, and all who belong to them and save us from death. The man answered her, We will give our lives for yours. If you don't report our mission, we will show kindness and faithfulness to you when the Lord gives us the land. And so the spies leave after they gain their intelligence. And they go back to, to Joshua and they report to their commander 
what they've seen and what they've learned about Jericho and, and its fortifications and how the city is, is probably laid out, all of the kind of things that the intelligence community would be dealing with. And they tell him about Rahab, about the prostitute that spared their lives. And so on the day when the battle commences, which is really one of the strangest battles and military victories in all the world, as they march around the wall for several days and finally they march and they make all kind of noise and the, the, the walls came tumbling down, Joshua says, now go in there and go to Rahab's house and get all her family and pull her out. Get all of them, get all of them and, and bring them here. Joshua chapter 6, 23 says, So the young men who had scouted went in and brought out Rahab and her father, mother, brothers, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her whole family and they settled, her, settled them outside the camp of Israel. She had been marginalized really on the inside of Jericho. She made her choice to trust in God her life was spared. All of her family is spared. They pull her out of Jericho and then they give her a place outside the camp. She's not even really welcomed inside the camp. She is a, she's a, a, a Gentile. And so she's, she's marginalized. And so we'll, we'll look at the, uh, the resume of Rahab. Now then, if you like shiny, happy, fuzzy, warm stories in the Bible, you might want to get up and go to the bathroom because this one is not for you. Okay, But if you like honesty and you like real stories about real life, then this one is for you. And what I love about this story is its honesty, is how real it is. It doesn't sugarcoat anything, which is good because the last thing we really need is our lives to be sugarcoated about what's going on, right? We don't need that. Okay, so we pull up Rahab's executive profile. You know, she's now lost her job. She needs a new job. So she puts her resume together. What's her executive profile? Well, I was a prostitute. She had sex for money. Okay, let's just, we won't sugarcoat anything. We know what a prostitute is. We're, we're aware of that. That was her job. Professional experience? Well, it's sort of unseemly. We won't talk about it, but she probably has an extensive list of, of satisfied clients. Okay, this is what she did. This is what she did for living. And it gets to this question here, well, what are the reasons, Rahab? What are the reasons you, you left your last job? Well, I, you know, I, I lied to the king's death squads. Uh, I, I hid the Israelite spies, which you know, that one was kind of a no-no. Uh, branded as a traitor probably by all the, the people there in uh, Jericho. The city walls were leveled and now everybody's dead. Uh, so, you know, you know it's, it's not good. But at that point, somebody might look at res uh, her resume and say, you know what? Uh, I, I've heard enough. Rahab, I don't need to hear anything else from you. Reject it. Let's just let's file that resume. Let's file that one in, 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 in file 13. And so there Rahab is. She's trusted her life to God. Her life and the lives of all her family, all her kin, they've, they've been spared. They're not really welcomed into the community they're given a place outside of the community to live, and you just wonder, you know, what would the rest of, of her existence be? Would she just live her life there as a, a marginalized 
individual on the outskirts uh, or the outskirts of Israel, kind of on the outside looking in, wondering what her life was like, wondering if it was supposed to, to be that way, or wondering what it would have been had she had turned in the spies. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting to just sit back and ponder those things and to think about those questions and wonder kind of the things that, that may have, have, have gone through her head. And so we wonder what, what became of, of Rahab. And you don't read really anything else about Rahab in the Bible for a long time. Now then, there's another reference to a Rahab in the Old Testament, but it's talking about a pagan god. But it's not until you get to the New Testament, the very first page of the New Testament, that you find out something about our friend Rahab. And we read about it in the book of Matthew. Now then, Matthew, Matthew's gospel was written from a very Jewish perspective from a Jewish slant. It was written by a Jew for Jews. And so you learn a lot about Jewish history. You learn about how uh, much the Old Testament, the Torah, all of those things were uh, in, in importance to the life of a Jew. What else you learn from looking at Matthew's Gospel is that lineage is very important as well. And the way that a, a Jew sort of... Um, told you who he was or who she was, was to begin listing off their family trees. Now, it's not really fun to read those genealogies. One of you particularly knows about that, as I had you read it in public one time. But it's not particularly fun to read it because we don't normally name off our family members to present who we are. Now, then we might say, well, you know my dad. You may know my dad or you, know, you may know my sister or, uh, or, or somebody may say, oh, yeah, you're so-and-so's son or you're, you're so-and-so's daughter. And there'll be like maybe one connection. But to the Jews, they could trace their lineage all the way back. And it was a way of showing who they were. It was a way of, of showing their clout and their status. And so as Matthew sits down to write his gospel, he begins to list it off. And it says this is the historical record of who? Of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now that's a pretty good pedigree right there, isn't it? Jesus Christ, the son of David, who Jews have revered, who is the son of Abraham. What do we what did they call Father Abraham? Or what did they call Abraham? Father Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. And I am one of them, and so are you. You know, this song, we can just break into that right now. But this is a pretty good pedigree. Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and he keeps writing, and you get down to verse 5, and now notice this. Salmon fathered Boaz by who? By Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered King David. Right there. Just as he's getting going good. He started with Jesus. He's going through from Abraham all the way up here, and he gets to verse 5. He says, Salmon followed, or fathered Boaz by Rahab. Rahab the prostitute. 
in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And this is interesting for a lot of reasons. In this day and age, they wouldn't always list women. Yet in Matthew's genealogy, you see four or five women listed. You read about Tamar. You read about Rahab. You drop down to the next verse here, and it talks about Uriah's wife, which is Bathsheba. And keep rolling all the way to the end, and you read about another one. And Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Rahab, the prostitute, the liar, the spy, saver, is the grandmother of Jesus Christ. Ponder that a minute. The grandmother of Jesus is not even a Jew. And there's a couple of Gentiles in that list. Ruth wasn't a Jew. Yet you find them in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And I love that that's in there. Because you know what that means? That there are sinners in the genealogy and the family lineage of Jesus. That means we could be in the genealogy and lineage of Jesus. And so that's where, that's where she is. Now then, we all have people in our family who have done stuff. Maybe they've embarrassed the family. Maybe they've done things to embarrass themselves. They've uh, been a drain on society. They've been a drain on others. They've, they've, they've hurt people. They've stolen. They've lied. You know, every single family, just about without exception, has someone like that. And what do we tend to do with people like that? Do we tend to talk openly about that? We don't. We cover it up. We don't want people to know that that's in our family, that's in our, our, our history. But yet Matthew lays it out right here. Makes it very clear. I mean, he could have skipped right over Rahab. But guided by the Holy Spirit, wrote her name down in his gospel we see that she is in the lineage she is the grandmother of Jesus Christ and not only that that's not the only time she's mentioned in the New Testament you go to the book of Hebrews Hebrews eleven thirty one. this chapter is probably the most famous chapter in all the book of Hebrews it's known as the the, the, the heroes of faith or the hall of faith whatever you want to call it Hebrews eleven thirty one. after they've talked about Abraham and Moses and and Isaac and all of these great people in the book of Hebrews, the writer says, by faith, Rahab, the prostitute, received the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. The next book over, James, he chose to write about her too. And in the same way, wasn't Rahab, the prostitute, also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by a different route? She's right there in the heroes of faith putting her faith into action. And so because she trusted in God, God changed everything and she gets to add another page to her resume. These other recognitions, what are they? Well, she helped to accomplish God's plan. 
She is the grandmother of Jesus. She is a heroine of faith. And she is known for putting her faith into action. I love that story. She is accepted. No matter what she has in her past, and she's got a pretty checkered past. Can we agree about that? She's got a pretty checkered past, yet she's right there in the genealogy of Jesus. You know, I, I, I think often we let our, our bad resumes, we let them affect our abilities, which can ultimately affect our future. Have you ever had something bad in your life and maybe you had a good opportunity come along? Maybe not just in your spiritual life, but maybe in your work life. And because you knew what was in your past, you chose not to step out and take that opportunity. Or maybe you chose not to get involved in someone's life because of things you have in your past. Things that have caused great shame and, and disappointment. Maybe not so much to you, but have caused shame and disappointment to others. That's exactly what Satan wants to do. Satan wants to take your bad resume and my bad resume and he wants to constantly put it in front of our face. Constantly remind us of our, of our failures, of our struggles. Remind us of the people that we have hurt and the opportunities that we have lost. That is exactly how Satan works. He wants us to believe that we are no good. That we're completely worthless. Well, Matthew begins writing some more. He's telling his own story by this point. And he's talking about the call, and the Pharisees are complaining that Jesus eats with tax collectors, because that's what Matthew was. And Matthew records Jesus' words here, and I can imagine of all the words Matthew remembered, it maybe was probably these words more than anything else. as they're complaining that Jesus would spend time with someone like Matthew. Jesus says, those who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick do. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And that's good news. Jesus says, I didn't come to call those who think they have it all together those who are not honest about their life, those who mask and cover up and act like everything is perfect and good and they're self-righteous and all that, I'm not interested in those people. Those people can't be helped because they don't think they need help. But what I am interested in are those of you that have so badly screwed your life up that you think there's no chance. That's the people I'm here for. I'm not here for the righteous. I'm here for the sick. I'm here for those of you that have blown it, those of you who have horribly bad resumes. That's the ones I came for. That's what Jesus does. He takes, takes people like you and me and Rahab. And he changes our situation from hopeless to hopeful. So let's continue reading from the resume we looked at earlier. 
I say all that to say this. God has changed something in my heart. And I I don't want to hide my past and selfish wants and desires anymore. I've given Him the wheel, and I'm letting Him lead me because my way never has and never will be the way. I've done wrong to people most of my life. But I intend to live the rest of it doing what's right with God at the forefront. Yes, I'm shameless and I'm laying my skeletons and demons out of the closet and will probably face persecution for this, but it's okay because I will not live like I've lived in the past anymore. And then five and a half months later, we laid my brother. Jesus doesn't care what is on your bad resume. All He cares about is your heart. All He cares about is your eternal destination. And He loves you so much that He left everything that He had in heaven. And He came to nothing on this earth and he went to the cross and he took every single one of our horribly bad resumes upon himself and he went to the cross so that we can have life so that we can have freedom so that we can be accepted. Jesus is the only way. And He doesn't care what you've got behind you. But He desperately cares what you have in front of you. And he stands with open arms and he pleads, come. Come, all you who are weary and burdened because of what life has laid on you. Come, all who are weary and burdened because of the mistakes and the bad choices that you've made in your life. Come and learn from me and about me. Come and take my yoke upon you because it's easy. It's not a bad resume that is going to constantly remind you of something. It's easy and it's light. And I'll give you a new page to add to your resume and you will find rest for your soul. That's what Jesus offers us. He offers us life. And He accepts us just as we are. 
don't go away hurting. Don't go away with an incomplete resume. Let Jesus add a new page to it. One that says accepted. One that says loved. One that says forgiven. One that says saved. If we can help you, if we can pray for you, we can baptize you into the name of Jesus Christ today and add you to his legacy and his lineage. Why don't you do that while we stand and sing? Just.